Okay, so the last time we were sitting around a table together like this, we were rebuking your ass and telling you stop using drugs. <laughs> yeah, that was probably the worst day of my life. I think the most frustrating thing about that entire day was Eric was like, you know, I have an addiction to ice cream. And I just, <laughs> I just can't stop eating ice cream. And like, I know it's in the fridge. And I'm like, Eric, are you kidding me right now? Like, I don't <laughs> remember, remember that. that. Was you don't that, remember that? No. Was that during the... That was during that whole thing where he was like, he was trying to get me to go to rehab. And he was like, I don't know, dude. He's like, I have addictive personality. It's just like, I can't stop eating ice cream. <laughs> and I'm like, sitting there, coming off of pills almost. I'm like, is he seriously trying to compare this to ice cream right now? Okay, so this is not about Eric. <laughs> You might get some tangents in the alarm. Not, the same room. not starting how, how we wanted to, but that's okay. We're here with Andrew and Lauren, and then it's me. We're going to talk about Andrew and his testimony, how he came to know Christ, and then what's been going on since then. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Welcome back to This Joe Show. I'm your host, Joe. Today's episode is part one of a very special two-part episode. We're keeping it in the family and talking to Andrew about how, even at his lowest, God never stopped pursuing him. I feel like I was almost about to have a panic attack. You know, because I was in the bathroom and I was like, I gotta get fresh air, like I gotta go outside. It was summertime, and I remember I was just like sitting on the trunk of my car smoking a cigarette, just like praying to the Lord, like, Lord, I messed up. I'm a Xenos kid, I grew up in Xenos, and um, I uh, accepted Christ at a really young age. I was actually like super afraid of hell and like getting left behind and stuff. Like getting left behind in the rapture. Oh, and so like, can, can I just say sorry about that? Yeah, but yeah, like, Joe ahead. sometimes will come home and be like, "I thought you were raptured," because I'll just take my pants off. <laughs> <laughs> so I probably did that as a kid. You probably often thought, "Oh shit." <laughs> I think when I was a kid, after I saw the Left Behind series, I like had this phase where I would like. I think it was right around nine eleven. Actually, I started following everyone around. Because I was like afraid some they were just gonna start disappearing on me. And I remember Eric was like, dude, you gotta stop following me. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. I'm so you had some fear as a kid. Yeah, I had some fear and uh I asked mom about it one day and I think I popped up on the counter, the house in Bedford, and told her I wanted to accept Christ and I, I realized that God died on the cross for my sins and I'm sure like I didn't have a full understanding of grace and I probably still didn't until I was like twenty five, but uh, oh, we never uh, yeah, continue. Right? Grace is abundant, that's for sure. But um, never separate in that one. Yeah, and I accept Christ's mom. So about how old were you? Uh, I think like ten, maybe eight. Okay, mom will say like eight years old, but I think I was ten. It was a young age though, for sure. Mm. I was old enough to know what I was doing and understand it, and spent most of my young life in church so i wanted to do it i wanted to make it official and i probably did it a couple times after that just to like make sure it took yeah really <laughs> put a spot on it <laughs> i mean growing up you're raised in a christian home we know that your mom and dad are great parents you got a brother and a sister who are also christians who are pretty good siblings yeah 
Um, so you got it going on. Everything's great. You made the decision to receive Christ. Um, so what happened? I always lived in the shadow of one of my best friends. He was always like, he was always trying to do his own thing. And I think after his dad died, he really just started doing his own thing. I was always in a shadow and following him. And I was always approaching ministry as it was like just something that I did. And it wasn't like anything real to me. You know, I didn't know how to love anyone. I didn't know how to actually like care about people. I just wanted to have fun. That was kind of uh, the story of my life. I was just always trying to follow the fun, you know. And I had a real one foot in, one foot out approach to ministry. It was never just like a really high priority. It was just something that I did. Went to church every Saturday or Sunday or whatever. I did, I did high school Bible study and did cell group. You were actually the leader of my cell when I was in high school. I think middle school and high yeah, school, right? Yeah, high school. There was like times when I really like made it a priority. And then there was times where I just was like, oh, you can carry, you know. I mean, I always felt like what you're saying is true. I always felt like you had a heart, a good heart. It was hard for me to tell, did you have a good heart for the Lord? Or did you just, you kind of had a good heart and wanted to do the right thing and make everybody happy? I definitely am like a people pleaser, that's for sure. Like, I always try to like charm my way out of things, talk to people, like, I basically say what people want to hear a lot of times. For me, it was hard to, definitely, I love you. You're my brother now, for sure. I cared about you then, and you're very likable. So it's hard to know, okay, is he telling me what I want to hear or is he really being sincere? And I think even back then I had trouble where I was like, I feel like you got a good heart and you want to do the right thing, but you're not. Yeah, and I always cared about like just being popular and wanting to fit in. And I chose whatever route was easiest, you know. I never wanted to actually like struggle. I think being raised in a Christian family, like it's such a blessing, but it's also like, curse in a way too because one you overlook grace in so many ways you don't even really know what grace is because you've had everything handed to you and two like you never really have the opportunity to fail you know I was basically raised to have success and to like know what was right and know what was wrong and failure was never really a thing for me growing up you know I never experienced but do you say you like were protected even from it maybe I mean yeah I, definitely. I mean, I was like, I'm the youngest of our family. So like, for sure, I think uh, mom and dad like protected me in a lot of ways. And not that like, I think they were just trying to do the best for me. But I never really had the opportunity to fail. You know, I never experienced failure. I never even really knew what it was until like, I really got into college when I dropped out of that one semester, you know, mm-hmm. and never really went back. Yeah, it was just like, I didn't know how to even like, fight or persevere you know I didn't even know what perseverance was it is such a blessing like looking back on it like it's so cool to have that foundation but then again it's really easy to take it for granted let's just talk about what happened when you kind of you walked away from the church was it a decision you made or did it happen gradually I think it happened gradually but I mean I think a lot of my friends can contest to this too um like B and stuff like I started fading and just paying attention to like girls and just trying to chase girls and trying to do that people were trying to pull me back and you know just like well yeah i'll be there you know tell people what they wanted to hear then just not really ever fall through my word or never find some excuse to not go or you know or just not even answer sometimes my parents left um xenos and that was really like my excuse to be like all right i'm out you know that was my that was my 
that was my action strategy, you know. I was like, all right, well, I'm dead. I'm going to Zena, so I don't got to go either, you know. Yeah. So and why like, why didn't why didn't you want to go? Just because you just wanted to do your own thing? Yeah, I honestly just wanted to have fun, and God wasn't a high priority on my list, you know. Like I like always loved the Lord, and but I didn't know how to actively love the Lord. You know, I actually didn't know how to fight for my faith or. So it seemed like you loved the idea of the Lord, but not actually actually like. You weren't like executing that in your life, like you're. Like, yeah, it was just to what you wanted to do. It was just a thing, like, like, the, like the here and now, instead of like. I was definitely distracted by you know, that one girl I dated for a long time, Amanda. Mm-hmm. I was a dumb seventeen-year-old who thought, mm-hmm. and I made her my world. I pushed everyone out. You know what I'm saying? I even pushed Mike out. Like mm-hmm. when that relationship ended, I really had nobody. When I started working at Outback and meeting all those people and realized how easy it was to like make new friends and like how attractive the world became at that point, you know? Yeah. So then what happens? You continue down that path where you're, you're working at Outback and, uh, talk about that. Yeah. So I started working at Outback. I just finished my first semester at CSU and I like started working in the Outback and I was actually making good money for a 19 year old, you know, I was making like close to $500 a week just serving tables. And that's like working four days a week, you know, so it was like awesome. And like, it became, I started meeting all these people and they started inviting me out to parties in Akron and stuff. And I started going out there and partying every weekend and just meeting new people. I started meeting all those people. And like, for some reason I just clicked with a lot of people. I don't know, became friends with, I don't know why. (laughs) Sometimes like I feel, uh, Especially at that point in my life, like, I really didn't care about anyone else besides myself. That's when I was, like, lifting real hard, and, like, all I cared about was just, like, Andrew and, like, how I could almost use people to feel happy, you know? And I'm the type of person who, like, hates being alone. And I was never home, you know, because I would want to, I wouldn't want to be alone. I wouldn't be, like, yeah, mom and dad would be there or whatever, but I would want to go and be with people, and, like, I'd literally just use people to, like, feel good, you know? Mm-hmm. at that point and that's when like I started doing drugs because I was like really easily influenced you know started smoking pot it wasn't like even really that heavy at that time I'd smoke occasionally usually like when parties were or something like I don't think I started actually buying weed until like maybe a year or two after I like start first started smoking so yeah I was just like partying and living it up you know and really not giving it just living for today you know yeah I didn't really care about my future or what I mean I didn't have any plans you know at, at this point is it fun yeah I mean I was like the the world was it was fun like it was that there was times where it was just like it was kind of weird because I grew up in a church so I like knew these people like didn't really like truly care about me you know in a way but like I always like kind of put that in the back of my mind like all oh, these people actually care about me and, like kind of convinced myself it was like enticing you know I was I met a whole bunch of new people and I started having a lot of success with girls, you know, like I started, I was like talking to a new girl almost every week, you know, this is different, you know, because I kind of lived in that sheltered realm, that sheltered realm of a Christian kid where it's like, I'm meeting new people every week, you know, it's not the same people I see at church every week. So it was, it was different, you know, and it was kind of exciting and it was definitely, it sucked me in for sure. It's funny, I'm like a smaller scale when I went to um, college and that like how we were like broken up for a month. Mm-hmm. There's like a month of my life that I like met new people and did some crazy stuff. But it was like I was also like living in a ministry house and had some accountability. So it was like 
very short-lived. Like I just didn't get sucked into it. And a lot of that was like the stability people that cared about me and Christians that were like, what are you doing? Where like you didn't have you didn't have that. Yeah, mom and dad kind of gave me the freedom to like. I think that's when they finally decided to like let me fail. They let me do my own thing, you know. Mm-hmm. I spent like I mean I had a curfew until I was eighteen, like it was midnight. I like hated that stuff. And then as soon as I turned eighteen, you know, it was like you're a man now. You can make your own decisions. So I ran with it, you know. I really took advantage of it, and I definitely took advantage of mom and dad for sure. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I hope you've apologized. Yeah. Have it's good. I've had to apologize for them, to them. I mean, too. Just doing stupid shit. Yeah, we're all sinners. <laughs> mm-hmm. I could see how I definitely had a, like a little bit of rebellion, but I was like, there's like accountability in my life where you just didn't have that. Yeah, not having mom involved in ministry and stuff, and then they were trying to constantly get me, or not constantly, but they were trying to get me involved somewhere, you know. And I liked Hudson. I'd always go like a half hour late because I didn't want to stand for a half hour singing. Mm. But I would just go there and leave, you know. And I'd almost go there just to get mom and dad off my back, so. Okay, so at what point you kind of continue down this path, right? I didn't come back to ministry until I was 25. So, I mean, I partied it up for probably like eight years, almost close to a decade. It was a long time. Yeah. So, I mean, I remember every time we'd have, like, a family thing or we'd go on vacation, you'd come for, like, it'd be, like, four or five years almost where we'd be like, Andrew, come on, dude. Get your life together. Like, start following the Lord again. What are you doing? And you're like, I mean, again, it would seem like it was genuine. It probably was a little bit genuine and a little bit of saying what you thought people needed to hear, but it always seemed like. You're almost there. You're maybe because you're sober for for a couple days. Okay, we'll come to something. And then you wouldn't. Yeah, I think uh, my friends had a lot of influence on me too. So like when I got away from that, I felt the draw of the Lord, you know. Like mm-hmm. the Lord, the devil put up, Satan definitely put up some blinders in, in front of me when like I got back to like reality of like hanging out with my friends and smoking pot all day, you know. Like it just, I just became numb to like mm-hmm. anything spiritual and I was really shut off from the Lord. And, like, when I would hang out with you guys, I would see, like, relationally and with you and Eric and Andy and mom and dad and stuff. And even when I would see people randomly, it would, you know, it I'd feel that pull by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit. And um, I would actually, like, consider, like, oh, maybe I should, like, actually give the Lord a chance. And I still prayed and stuff. Like, I still was, like, but it was, like, almost just empty prayers, you know, where it was... It was almost just like a routine where it was like, yeah, Lord, I pray that you can help me get my life together. Give me a future, you know? And I it wasn't actively, like, even seeking the Lord. And I think the Lord definitely, uh, you know, the Lord let me fail. He stands and waits for you to turn to Him, you know? Mm-hmm. God's not going to just say, hey, stop doing that, you know? Mm-hmm. I definitely had to hit rock bottom for me to, like, actually realize that my life is, like, really, like, I have nothing... I have nothing, you know, I have no relationships that actually really matter. And that was, like, really evident to me when I stopped doing drugs, you know. My friends just kind of stopped calling me, you know. And when they did call me, I did go hang out with them. That's when, after I got caught, I wasn't doing drugs. Because I would have literally been homeless. I just would sit there and watch them do drugs. And I was like, this is, this sucks. Talk about what happened where you say you, like, hit rock bottom. So what finally made you get to the point where you realize this isn't 
working. Can I share like what was going on behind the scenes there? Yeah, absolutely. So you were dating somebody, and she was a cool girl. Me and her developed a relationship, and it's you guys broke up. But I got together with her, and I was like, something is going on. What in the f is going on with him? And she was like, I, I'm, I'm not. I don't want to be a part of this. Like, I don't want my name getting dragged through the mud. I don't want him mad at me. And I was like, listen, if you care about him at all. Please tell me what's going on. We will not drag you into this, but like my family needs to know what's going on. And she told me that you were uh, sniffing Percocet. And I was like, I'm so naive to that stuff. I had to like Google even what Percocet was. Yeah. And I was like, oh crap. Like he could seriously start doing heroin next. Like that essentially in my mind, I was like, that's the next step. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty much all heroin addicts usually start with pharmaceutical drugs. Yeah. And pills. Yeah, I mean, I was even doing way, way before she was ever in the picture, you know. I was hiding it. I probably started dabbling with pills when I was, like, 22. It was probably the first time I ever actually did them, you know. Yeah, and but just your personality was, like, very different. Yeah, it just gradually got more and more of a habit. Like, it was never, like, a full-on... Like, I still don't feel like I was, like, a full-on drug addict. Mm-hmm. Like, there were times I definitely, like, detox and stuff and doing them all the time. I was never like, there's like a stage of addiction where it's like abuse, there's like casual user, abuser, then like a full on addict. And I mean, I was like in the in between stage of like abuser and addict, you know? Yeah, part of me like wonders if like by God's grace he like kept you at bay with it? I don't know. I think like... so. I mean, I was a lightweight when it came like all my other friends, like they could just pound them up, pound you know? Them. And like, I think the most I ever did in a day was, like, six. And, like, I puked all the time, too. Like, if I did one or two too quick and I had, like, an empty stomach or something, I was, like, I'd puke, you know? It's funny. I I heard a crazy story at uh, Perspectives about this guy that was, like, an alcoholic. Yeah. But, like, he received Christ, and the next day he went to drink and, like, vomited it. And then he was, like, what the heck? And went to drink again and vomited. And he had, like, never vomited. And sometimes you just wonder, like, God... If God's just like, nope, I'm going to protect you. Well, I mean, I think that it's interesting because I feel like even before I was a Christian, there were hundreds of situations where I'm even like, why would I not do that? I'm thankful that I didn't, mm-hmm. but I, I I feel like, yeah, God's tugging you in a, in a way where, mm-hmm. I mean, certainly, Andrew, you've got a bunch of people who care about you, who are praying for you then, who... Yeah, behind the scenes. Um, behind the scenes, we're hopeful that you come to your senses and turn and follow the Lord. And I think that that probably had more to do with it than mm-hmm. we may ever know. So, I mean, I, I always did feel like hopeful with you. Jeez, I hope he got to get it together at some point and follow the Lord. Like, he's got a good good heart. He knows you. And come on, Lord. Like, I mean, the whole time, the Lord's drawing me back to him slowly. And mm-hmm. I think definitely... In my, like, early 20s, from, like, 23 to 25, when I actually got sober, or got clean, there were, like, definitely times where it was just like, what am I doing, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. there's definitely times where it was, like, it was just a struggle, you know? It was an Mm -hmm. internal struggle that I would go numb to just by doing, getting high or whatever, you know, or just trying to seek more fun. I think there became a time where it's like, okay, now I gotta seek new ways of fun, you know? It became... It wasn't almost like the drugs or anything. It was just like, what ways can I fill this hole, this God-shaped hole, you know? Yeah. I just kept 
pushing people who cared about me out of my life and just going more to a destructive route, you know, just pleasure seeking. So what finally then, you know, you're, you're kind of talking about it, what turned it around, you know, what finally happened that you decided to, okay, I've been going this way, I've been seeking pleasure, now I'm going to go a different way and go towards God. Well, I think like my first wake up call was when I got that Dewey mm-hmm. in 2014, two weeks before I graduated trade school, you know, and uh, yeah, I 100% believe it was orchestrated by God, you know, and it was just one of the steps he got my got my attention. It wasn't, that like didn't sober me up or anything, mm-hmm. you know, it just gave me more money to, you know, more money to do drugs, you know, I wasn't paying for gas, I wasn't like, all I was really doing was saving the, for court, you know. Mm-hmm. I had a job lined up mm-hmm. for when I graduated, and that didn't work out. And I think also, like, that wasn't God's plan for me because, I mean, it was, like, in Venner, completely away from where I ended up getting back involved in at Kent with the announcement stuff. The DUI was, like, something that I realized, like, man, what am I doing? You know, it was one of those things. And that's when the drug use with Percocet got the worst because it was, like, really numbing that feeling of, like, I got nothing. I, I can't find a job because of this Dewey because I work in HVAC. Pretty much, it's all driving. Like, if you work in the field, you're driving a van every day, you know? Mm. And it wasn't companies. Like, I interviewed with companies, and they're like, oh, yeah, we want to hire you. And as soon as I told them I had a DUI, they're like, ooh, yeah, we can't even assure you. Like, we want to hire you, but our insurance won't allow us to do it because your points are too high. You can't drive our trucks. Interview after interview, uh, they were just like, no. And, like, that made me even more depressed and going through that whole court situation and it was just like it just made me even more depressed so I just kept doing just numbing it more you know finding any way to like party not even just doing like hard drugs but just going out and partying you know going to like concerts and stuff and like mm-hmm. getting blacked out drunk and all kinds of stupid stuff that after the DUI I actually had to go to this is pretty crazy I had to go to drunk camp you go to a hotel mm-hmm. for three days they basically like you're in class for 12 hours, and then after the 12 hours, they lock you in a hotel room. They put tape on your door, so, like, you can't even leave after they, they say, like, hey, doors are closed. We're putting tape on your door. You can't go out. And if there's tape on the door, you're booted. You, got, you lose the $350 you paid for it, and you have to take it again to get your license back. I was in that DUI camp. Actually, I was coming off of pills. Not, like, heavy but, like, that whole week before I went in there, I was doing pills pretty almost every day. So, like, one thing about Percocet, this is kind of gross, but it blocks you up. There's times when I detox where you f- you're sick. You're literally sick. You feel like you have the flu. That's what I call pill sick. And I didn't have it that time. Like, I was, that whole year, I was on and off. You know, it would get bad, and I'd realize, oh, I gotta stop doing this, you know? And uh, the girl I was dating, too, like, she would catch me. She was good at it, you know? And then I'd stop for a while, and I detoxed a couple times, but I was in that. DUI camp, which is all about addiction. They're like addiction therapists. So like, I was literally running back and forth to the bathroom because I like about to poop my pants. I was trying not to show them that like I'm a drug addict, you know. But the crazy thing was the guy that was teaching it. He kept bringing up you know Christian concepts where it was like substance and significance and like I was like man, this guy, I think this guy's a Christian, you know. My girlfriend at the time was gonna come pick me up. It was like a huge snowstorm, so I was the last one there. It was just me and this guy. He like kind of has to wait till everyone's gone, you know. And I asked him, I was like, "Man, like, you you seem like a Christian. Are are you a believer?" And he's like, "A believer?" He's like, "Oh yeah, I'm a born again Christian." I'm like, 
I don't know what. Like, I could totally tell, you know? And I think it's definitely uni- uni- the unity of the spirit, you know? Yeah. Where it's like, you can tell sometimes, especially if someone that loved the Lord. This guy, you could tell, like, really loved the Lord. And the whole reason why he was addiction therapist is because, like, that's what he felt like the Lord was calling him. He was like, this is ministry, you know? And I was talking to him, and I was like, yeah, it's kind of a wake-up call. And um, I, like, really have been struggling, and I need to get my life back in order. And this kind of been, this DUI was kind of the wake-up call. He's like, oh, man. He's like, yeah, he's like, I go to Hudson. And I was like, oh, no, no. My parents go to us, and he's like, oh, really? And he's like, yeah. He's like, man, I'm praying for you. He's like, I'm, I'm really going to keep you in my prayers, and uh, I pray that, you know, the Lord can use us in your life. And I was like, oh, thanks, man. And then I ended up getting picked up. But after that, I kind of, like, I felt real motivated. Like, man, God's seeking me out, you know? Yeah. Like, the Lord is seeking me out, and... I actually like tried to go to Hudson a couple times after that, and uh, I even told Tony like, "Hey, I want to make this like, I want to get back involved. I want to start walking with the Lord again." And she actually like, you guys were witnessing to her. She got, I think she got saved. God definitely worked through my sin there, but it faded quick. You know, I was back right back into the routine of working out back and not finding a job, and I just looked back into it, and that's when you were like really fishing and like. Yeah, it just seemed like something was really off. You'd go, and we'd see you, and you'd be like, you're not even you. Like, you're yeah, like, hey, you're like a different person. Like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, I think there was one time you guys told me about, I think there was one specific time at family night, I was like, real fucked up. I came up, like, probably like three or four pills deep. I was just, I couldn't even really talk to anyone, you know? I was just, was a robot. And you guys were like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, nothing, I'm just tired, you know? Like lying through my teeth like usual and uh this is right around the time we knew something was like up and it was really hard too because that time that's when like mom and dad really started pushing me hard too you know they're like lauren and joe said they're not going to bring our grandchildren over because of you mm-hmm. and like that was super hard like i remember going upstairs and like crying mm-hmm. and like yeah i think i did have to tell mom i was like if you guys don't get him out of here, like, we're not, we're not going to come here. Yeah. Because, like, we could, like, tell, like, you were high and... I definitely have apologized to him for putting him yeah. through that. And, like, even you guys, like, I've definitely thanked you because, like, you were the gas in the engine that, <laughs> like, pushed, pushed mom and dad and pushed really the whole family to, like, yo, we got to do something. Mm-hmm. That whole thing with, the, with uh, Mila and Elliot at the time it was just, like... I'm really the reason why my brother and sister won't bring their kids here. It was just building up, you know, and yeah. I just kept trying to figure it out myself. Yeah, that's crazy. So, you know, mom was like, it came to a head, essentially, let's just say, and mom was on a mission trip. I found out from your girlfriend what was going on. You guys had broken up at that time. And then dad found out with the pills you guys were actually coming over that day. This is July 5th of 2015. That night, July 4th, you know, we're partying, doing pills. And I come home. I didn't sleep at home that night. I come back home. I was, like, hungover. And I was actually on the phone with one of my friends, like, trying to get more pills and, like, just veg out all day, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, basically do drugs, get not feel hungover. Dad and Mom, I pulled up. And, like, actually, they pulled up as I was leaving. And Dad's like, hey, yo, we got to talk. I was like, I- I'm leaving. Like, I got to go. He's like, no, like, you- we got to talk. And he's like, what's up with all these boxes? And at the time, I was getting 
I prescribed Adderall. I was going, still going to the pediatrician at 25, <laughs> and he he was like close to retirement. I'm laughing because we we went to the same pediatrician. Yeah, and he was like, and also because you're 25 going to pediatrician. <laughs> yeah. And he must have like kept accidentally writing more than one script because I would get like two scripts in the mail, like <laughs> just like. Shit. Almost once a month. Don't say his name. Yeah, definitely won't say his name, but he was old and probably forgetting. And <laughs> or I think like there's a couple times like I didn't get it, so they sent it again and they still like filled it. Which oh, shit. I think it was a mixture That's of That's crazy. Of it's a controlled anyways, substance. Yeah, Get your yeah. shit together. <laughs> and so and I was getting those and literally flipping them the day I got them because I had this one guy that would buy them from me for like Fifteen dollars a pill, so I'd make like three hundred bucks off one script, you know. Oh so I would literally get him and go get him, and I would, I used a lot of that money to like pay off the court fines I had, and I like just to buy pills. Dad's like, dude, what's up with these all these boxes? Yeah, he figured it out. Yeah, and I was like, uh, I got him in my car. He's like, well, yeah, grab the bottles, and I was like, uh, I don't see them. They must have got stolen. He's like, stop <laughs> bullshit. Like he was just like, we're done with bullshit. Like. You gotta, what are you doing? Are you selling these things? Are you, like, Dad thought I was, like, abusing Adderall, which I hated it, you know? Like, I didn't even take it. And, uh... I'm abusing other drugs, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't come to that point yet, but they're basically, like, we want to get you drug tested. Like, you you have to go to, in order to live here, you have to go get drug tested on Monday. And this was, like, Sunday, so we're, like, we want to know what you're on. And at that point, it was, like, I'm busted. So I ended up just coming clean, you know? And the crazy part is, you guys are, like, over... Or coming over that day. You, Eric, Andy, and uh, Lauren were coming over that day to, like, basically, like, have an intervention with me. We know? had an intervention. Yeah, and it was it was kind of cool to have the opportunity. I think the Lord really gave me the opportunity to come clean and actually, like, do it for myself, you know? Because I felt... I think I would have felt really trapped at that point where, like, I had the opportunity to come clean with just mom and dad. Okay. And yeah, because I remember, like, we had that intervention where we are all sitting at the table, and it didn't really go that well. When I had that conversation with Mom and Dad, I uh, we ended up, like, talking it out, and I was like, I'm leaving, you know? Like, I was, like, stressed out. Mom was crying, and, like, I told him, like, yeah, I'm, I've been doing Percocet, like, pretty consistently. And I still was, like, lying, you know? I wasn't telling him how in-depth it was. But I'm like, if I take a drug test opiates and weed will probably come up so i just told him i'm like i'm not gonna take this drug test like this is the truth like i have no reason why which i was still lying about how intense it was you know and i actually left at that point after i ended up coming clean because i couldn't like i couldn't handle it at the time you know my mom's crying my dad like is almost in shock you know and it was just like i'm leaving you know and i ended up going out and hanging out with my friends telling them what happened and they were like okay dude like you didn't mention our name, did you? Like, totally didn't care, you know? Yeah. And it was just, and I was sitting there just stressed out. I almost had the instance, like, get high, but I was like, man, I can't, like, I'm basically caught, like. Yeah. And then my dad called me back and said, hey, everyone's here, you gotta come home. And that's when I came back, and uh, that's when we sat down as a family. That was definitely, to this day, the hardest day of my life, you know? It was, yeah, it was hard, for sure. Did you t- tell about that, like, moment? It must have been, like, that week 
where you like were high and you felt like the Holy Spirit was like, oh, there was no. that like Holy come to Jesus moment. Yeah, it was a pretty crazy night. I was like really depressed before I actually got caught. Mm-hmm. And like, I wasn't even, like I couldn't even, if someone would have told me you're depressed, I'd be like, I'm not depressed. But I was struggling, you know, mm-hmm. I was just feeling super alone. And I would, at that point, I was like almost what I would do. And I'd come home, I'd get pills after work, and I'd come home and stay up to like four in the morning, just blowing pills up on my desk in my room and smoking cigarettes. I'd put that fan out the window, and I'd just smoke cigarettes out that fan. Uh, the one night I like, did way too many. I started puking, and like I, I walked into the bathroom. I remember staring in the mirror and like looking how fucked up my eyes were, and. Uh, looking how looking at my tattoos and just ashamed to even look at myself in the mirror you know and i was like i felt like i was almost about to have a panic attack you know because i was in the bathroom and i was like i gotta get fresh air like i gotta go outside it was summertime and i remember i was just like sitting on the trunk of my car smoking a cigarette just like praying to the lord like lord i'm I'm messed up Um, i can't find a job i can't make a relationship work you know like and i was seeking at that point, I was, like, seeking a girlfriend to actually have, like, a relationship with, you know, and actually, like, have a relationship that was significant or had some substance to it, you know? Mm-hmm. I remember just sitting on the trunk and just basically praying, praying like, to the Lord, you got to take these drugs away from me. I don't know how to stay away from them. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to. And sure enough, that was two weeks before I got caught. So. That's amazing. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. <laughs> like, I didn't even really realize it. Until, like, a couple months after I was clean, you know? That's, like, that's how the Lord worked in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I, I will always remember that night, too. Like, I just remember looking at myself in the mirror thinking, like, oh, my God, like, I'm ashamed to have you in my arms. You know, I'm ashamed to, uh, ashamed to look at myself in the mirror, you know? Like, I had, I was just, like, a low life, you know? I didn't even know what it, like, really felt to be loved besides my parents or my family, you know? That was, like, kind of the love that I was pushing away, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I mean, I got caught, and we sat in front of the entire family, like, all the head of the table. I remember mom was right to my left, like, crying the entire time. Like, she was trying to hold it together. She couldn't, you know? Because I think she saw the worst, you know? When she worked at Windsor, she was, like, always seeing crackheads and heroin mm-hmm. acts going in and out of there, you know? So she's seen the worst being a nurse, and I think that was just, like, mm-hmm. she was thinking, I'm doing heroin, you know? Which, praise God, like, I never even thought about doing it, you know, I would never even go to that point. And the hardest part, too, was, is I knew it in my heart that I just needed to get away with the Lord, you know? Mm-hmm. And rehab was, like, the ultimate embarrassment, you know? I do remember, there's two things I remember about that intervention. The first is your mom, um, which we talked about, and then the second thing was you were, like, adamant you're not going to rehab. And I don't mean to make light of a very serious situation, but I could, it was hilarious. You're like, I'm not going to rehab. I won't go to rehab. And all I could think of was, try to make me go to rehab. And I'm like, you just like, I will not go to rehab. I'm nope, I'm not going. But that's what Eric's brought up the ice cream story. I was like, I don't remember the ice cream thing, but I'm like, this dude does not want to go to rehab. I get it. Yeah, and there was no way I was going. Like, there was no way I was going to go. And I knew that, and I knew that the fear of getting, I mean, I was completely dependent on mom and dad at that point. So Mm -hmm. if I would have failed a drug test, you know, 
I actually, I, dad seemed serious. You know, dad said, you're out. You're, I'll take everything, you know. You're not yeah. going to have a phone. You're not going to have a car. You're not going to have anything. And I was that, like. That's, that's what I was saying. It went kind of rough because you were like, I felt like, okay, again, you're a likable guy. So I want to believe what you're saying. But then you were like, it seemed like you're repentant and you're wanting to like do the right thing. But you were like so adamant. I won't go to rehab, and I'm like, that's not good. Yeah, but I mean, then when um, your dad was like, you know, we're gonna do the drug test thing, and you're gonna submit to that, and then that's kind of the way we'll go, and you agreed to that. Then I'm like, okay, well, maybe that is it. So, even if you feel like you don't need to go to rehab. So basically, after that happened, you obviously decided to like listen to them, but then. Then you went to XSI, right? Like what? Yeah. So like what? Right. Go ahead. Good segue. Sorry. Go ahead. You you're doing it better than I'm doing it. Yeah. I mean, at that that Sunday, Eric Eric was really pushing rehab, and the (laughs) thing it was like. Can we just real quick touch on the ice cream thing? Just talk about that. Um, The funny story about us. I, I don't remember him saying that about ice cream, but the funny thing is. Is after all of that was done, we all went and got ice cream at Rosati's. Is <laughs> <laughs> it honest to God? Whenever I go to Rosati's, and I love Rosati's, but I always think of that we, family intervention. You went, you went to Rosati's too. I didn't go. No, no yes, you did. You yeah, were there. I think you did. You were, think, you were high. I think you did. Remember. I think you did go because it was like super weird. And I remember we sat over where that like little gazebo yeah, thing is. It yes. was super weird. Like, we Oh, yeah, that's right. We did go to Rosati's. ice cream after the family intervention. Oh, so, yeah. you, so you don't remember because you were probably, to some degree, high. I don't think I was. I, I mean, I it was think... just like such an emotional. I was yeah. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, I was probably like an emotional zombie. Too, yeah. Too, because like yeah. everything. I think, I think one We were thing... just feeding Eric's addiction. <laughs> Gotta get ice cream. But yeah, Eric was like pushing. Technically. The one thing that I (laughs) shut the hell up. (laughs) I think the one of the like the one of the most hardest things that I've never really Eric's not like super emotional. Like you don't ever see Eric like really cry. I think he cries. Oh, that's funny. When we tried to get him on the podcast, he cried about eighteen times. I think now that he gets older and has kids and things, I think he's super soft now, but before, like, there's only a couple times I saw Eric cry, and that was that Sunday, and, like, when we had to put Patch down. I only saw Eric cry, like, yeah, I only saw Eric cry up, like, two times, and Eric told me, like, after, I guess this was after ice cream, Mm -hmm. uh, he, like, drove home, and he, like, told Andy this, and he told me I was crying one day when we were just hanging out, and he told me, he was like, I 100% thought I was going to bury my brother that day, and that was, like, one of the hardest things that, like, for me, because, like, I just, it's the emotional side of seeing how much my decision impacted the people around me and impacted my family, and mm-hmm. that was the biggest one of the biggest wake-ups, seeing mom cry, mm-hmm. and seeing, like, just the disappointment that my yeah. life had become, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, hearing Eric say that, and, like, actually, like, when he told me, I could see, like, the actual genuine fear that he had when he told me that story, and it was, like, mm-hmm. he was legit. Like, you guys all thought I was like, going to end up dying, you know? And it's, like, kind of crazy to me now, because, like, looking back on it, it's just, like, I knew 
Because I got clean a couple times that year, mm-hmm. you know. I knew I could stop doing drugs. Yeah. But the whole thing with the reason why I could never, like, stay clean is because I feel like Satan had a grip on me about through my friends. Like, I didn't want to lose my friends. Those were, like, I didn't ever, like, it was a relationship built on partying and mm-hmm. nothing significant. But I thought, like, those dudes were my brothers, you know. Yeah, I remember being, like, trying to, like, talk sense into you, like, oh, dudes don't care about you and you were like adamant that they did and it's but it's like interesting so after all of that a week later so you go to xsi yeah go to xsi because eric so i mean what happened you just decided to go to xsi on the blue but no i mean that was one of the things that we talked about that sunday eric was like dude you gotta do something like Mm -hmm. i remember saying that like i need to get right with the lord i know that my heart like Mm -hmm. and i was being 100 percent genuine I knew that in my heart, God has been pulling on me, like, that week prior, like, yeah. it was just a build-up of all that stuff, the DUI, like, getting clean and not getting clean, like... Yeah, God pulling some strings. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, uh, one failed relationship after the next, you know, it was like, I finally reached a breaking point, you know, where it was like, I got nothing, uh, I'm literally at ground zero, you know, I'm yeah. rock bottom. I knew, when I told you guys, I was like, I'm, I gotta get right with the Lord, but what I didn't know was how I was gonna do that. Thanks for listening to part one of Andrew's story. Check out part two for the exciting conclusion. This Joe show is me, Joe, and I was joined on today's episode by Andrew Shoes and Warren Alley. This episode was recorded in February 2019 in a yellow house in Stowe, Ohio. This Joe show's intro music is Folly of Youth by Semaphore, used under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 international license. Closing song is The Keeper of History by Defy the Mall, used under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Like 4.0 license. Both songs can be found at freemusicarchive.org.